Welcome to College Crypto, where we teach crypto in a no-nonsense way to give you an edge in what's coming in the digital economy. Here we provide answers to the questions you've always wanted to ask and explain how and why crypto has taken the world by storm. My name is Hunter and is joining me are my two fellow podcast co-hosts, Yolan and Eamon. Let's get right into it. I want to start off today maybe giving a bit of a recap of what we covered last time. Yolan, do you want to take us forward with that? Yeah, so last time we kind of went to the origins of Bitcoin and the birth of blockchain. And we spoke about how there were lots of issues with the traditional financial system, like inflation in places uh, like Nigeria, uh, like El Salvador, where the like the US, like the US, where we printed 25% of all US dollars in a single year. And how something like Bitcoin that has a, a supply limit of 21 million has a store value function. So it's kind of similar to gold. I should probably, we should probably start out with, with covering some more of the issues. I, I, don't, I don't think we, um, we properly address all the problems that blockchain wanted to solve. So I think maybe we should start with um, something we can all relate to. And that is, you know, we, especially you and I, Yolan, we had a lot of funds in um, stocks and we in, you know, Comsec and Selfwealth and all these different stock trading platforms. And, you know, as you, as we mentioned last episode, Yolan got us on, uh, sorry, Eamon got us onto this big crypto thing. And it took so long to sell my stocks, you know, get that credit transferred into my CDIA or the equivalent, you know, my stock bank account, and then transfer that to my actual bank account, which I could then transfer to SwiftX, which is an Australian crypto platform, and then transfer that crypto to FTX. So which the SwiftX FTX wasn't too bad, but the entire process of waiting for my money to come off stocks, you know, to my bank account, that took three, five days. Um, and, and that's just crazy. Like considering in this hyper-efficient modern world, like we touched on, you know, how everything's evolving except our financial system, that's, that's dated and that's unbelievable. I don't know, maybe you want to tune in on that, Elon, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, like sell, selling my stocks... It takes me, I sell my stocks on the stock market. So I have to, for example, if I own US stocks, I have to be up when the US market's open. So like in the middle of the night, then I decide to sell my stocks. And I wait two days um, for that to process properly. And then I have to transfer that money to Australian dollars and I get, I get taken a cut uh, fee of, for the Forex transaction. That takes another two days. Um, and then finally it arrives in my Australian brokerage bank account that takes two days. And then sometimes it can take another two days uh, if it's not a business day. And so that, that whole process is extremely cumbersome. And I'm just really surprised that like we've all kind of accepted that, that cumbersome nature of the traditional banking system. Um, and another point to, to raise is something, I think Raymond raised this last time actually, that there's a huge amount of people around the world that don't actually have a bank account. So we, they don't even have the quote unquote luxury of, of this cumbersome system. So they don't have the ability to earn interest or to invest in things. And actually there's about 2 billion people around the world who don't have the right KYC or credit score to, to have a bank account. So yeah, in, in some sense, the, the bank, banking system has really failed a lot of people yeah, I mean, I don't want to complain too much about the banking system because after all, like it, 
it's done a good job up until now. But like the same saying, like if you want to move your money from one place to another, it should be instantaneous. Like the money is yours. The stocks are yours. Why do we have to wait up to a week to transfer from your stocks to your personal account? And like for me, for example, when I went, uh, I went to an ATM and I put my card in and then it just took it and then nothing came up. It's like, there's so many small things that just happen. Like when your, I don't know, your bank account gets hacked or like there's someone that tries to go in and then it's blocked for a week. There's all these small things that we just kind of dealt with and just live with, but we really don't need to. There's so many other things that crypto just replaces that would be so much more efficient. I think what I find really interesting is we're moving towards like, you know, when, when we try, we're working on businesses, obviously, and we've done these sort of TikTok things, you know, Eamon, um, and we've been able to go to WeWork and Fiverr and all these different freelance platforms. And we're able to interact with all these different nationalities and all these different people around the world. What's really, I've found weird and I, you know, don't, you know, maybe crypto is a solution to this, but the fact that, you know, stock markets close at a set time and we're in this world where it's just like globalization and we've got everything. And it's just like, why do we have all different currencies and why do we all have, you know, why isn't the stock market open 24 seven? And why is it as well? Like, why is it that I have to buy one stock? Why can't I buy a fraction of a stock? And I think crypto is really tying in this globalized sort of accessible piece to finance that really in we've we've seen everything from the internet you know connecting all our information we've seen travel connect all our different cultures in the physical sense why haven't our finances been connected and i think maybe maybe crypto doesn't have all the answers yet but it's definitely solving a lot of those and don't get us wrong because at the same time there's so many developments happening like there's Osco Pay, which makes it almost almost instant for most banks or all banks that happens. So you can transfer at any point in time, which is super useful. But then again, it's just so painful and cumbersome. Like for the two billion people that don't have that don't have a bank account, how are they supposed to exist and get anything set up? Like if you're in the middle of nowhere in rural Nepal, why do you need a bank account if you're just like living on the rice paddy fields, right? So there's all these people that are just living day to day or paycheck to paycheck. They don't have. I think the number was about sixty percent of Americans actually live paycheck to paycheck. I don't have any investments at all. So for those people, they're really targeted by inflation purely because every single week, because the value of the dollar is getting weaker and weaker and weaker because the US, um, the US Federal Reserve just prints and prints and prints more money, they're making less and less money every week. Like I think Hunter, you were saying that we saw a tweet from Pomp that, what was it again, Hunter? It was that in 1930s for one US dollar, you used to be able to buy 12 oranges, just one, or you used to be able to buy 10 Hershey's bars in, you know, 1950s. Now you can only buy, I think it was a single tiny McDonald's coffee for a US dollar and that's it. You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, so I think just recapping on the, the value that at least the first generation of cryptocurrency brought to us, so i.e. Bitcoin, was making a system that wasn't prone to inflation where it was publicly transparent, the monetary policy of this currency. So we know that there will only ever be 21 million and they're making it peer to peer. So what that means is when I uh, send you a, a Bitcoin, then that's going directly to you. There's not some, some middleman basically controlling that process, blocking it off, not letting me we do it. We said last time, right? Yeah. Yeah, not you letting me do it on weekdays, uh, all of that nonsense. And of course, it's also global, um, instant, um, and generally like very low fees. Right. It's everything you could want in a banking system. Like there's really nothing else. Like what else would you like? Like that's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think although like a point we will probably go a bit more into is that Bitcoin isn't the be all end all. Like it's, it's uh, I think you mentioned last time, Eamon, you know, much like social media, we have MySpace and now we've got Facebook. Bitcoin, like MySpace obviously had a ton of issues and, you know, user interface problems. Bitcoin is that MySpace and it's not all, all it has a lot of issues. And I think we saw a lot of that in El Salvador as well. Um, without going into too much details, but kind of the overarching piece is that it is better than what we already have, but it still has a long more long way to go. And that, you know, a lot of different, you know, essentially like blockchains and crypto solutions are coming out and innovating towards that. Exactly. Bitcoin could almost be seen, I think, as like a gateway drug into the rest of cryptocurrency, the rest of the crypto world. Like, for example, you think about, I don't know, 2001, 2002, we only had Blackberries, right? Like the Apple and the iPhone and Samsung, like all the other um, smartphone products didn't really exist. So imagine back then in like 2001 on your Blackberry, someone coming up to you and it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have social media where you can post photos and videos and scroll through TikTok. At the time, we literally like had a keyboard on the phone and we could only like text and play Snake. It's like, that was literally only five, six, maybe max 10 years apart. And the amount of time we're spending on our phones is absolutely insane. Like imagine what that's, I feel like we're at a similar stage, which we covered last time, but a similar stage now where people are only just starting to realize the potential. And then in 10 years, it'll be absolutely obvious. Like we'll look back at ourselves and it's like, oh, it was so obvious that was going to happen. Like, of course that was going to happen. But right now it feels like there's so much regulatory risk, like the SEC, which is basically this huge governmental body in the US. They're trying to sue Coinbase, which is this cryptocurrency business, which is playing completely by the books for no real reason. So there's all these regulations and things coming on, like the International Monetary Fund has issued six warnings to El Salvador in the span of a week saying, don't make Bitcoin legal tender, don't make Bitcoin, and they can't even do a thing. So- I think what's really interesting on that, just, just cutting in here, that hmm. West Westpac, like a huge, I think it was either Westpac or Westbank, who was responsible for El Salvador's remittance fees, which is the fees we covered last time in terms of, you know, I'm in the US and I'm sending my money back to my family. They missed out on 400 million dollars of profit so far from remittance fees like that bet that is into the el salvador economy already like i don't know how legit that is but if it's even close to that that's crazy um i think maybe we should cover a little bit of why bitcoin came into existence like we we where did this stem from and like I know it was something to do with the financial crisis, but from my own understanding, maybe Yolan, you know a little bit about this. Why did this technology come into play and what really spurred it on? I think it was just someone that just wanted something that only ever goes up and they weren't happy with the stock market. So they just made Bitcoin because it never goes down. Like every, like right now, every green day is a green day. Yeah, exactly. No, Elan, (laughs) Elan, you're saying. um, In all seriousness, well, there's a long history of, of Bitcoin. So, the idea of creating something that's scarce on the internet has, has a very long history. It goes back a few decades and you can kind of trace um, like each computer, like multiple computer scientists providing their own innovations. But ultimately it was this anonymous person called Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin, that kind of connected the dots and said, okay, we've got something called blockchain. Now, how can we use it to create internet money? Uh, it's not clear that if uh, Satoshi was thinking about the banking system and all its vices at the time, but certainly I think the adoption of Bitcoin benefited in those early days because it coincided with the GFC. So um, in the first 
block that was created on the Bitcoin network. It had a, it had a message hidden in that block saying um, the government just bailed out a massive bank. Let's just clarify, a block is like a set bit of data that's transferred on the blockchain, right? Yeah. yeah after this, cool. Alan, I might explain real quick how the blocks work uh, in a simple, I've, I've got a good metaphor, but you keep going, then I'll plug in. Yeah, so um, all the transactions that happen in a given time are recorded in a block. And on the Bitcoin network, each block takes about 10 minutes to write. And then a new block is created and more transactions are put on the new block. So it's like, imagine like pages in a book. Um, each, each block is a page and you write transactions on each page. Uh, I don't know if you've got a different metaphor, Eamon. So like, for example, let's say you're at a bus stop. So you want to catch a bus and you want to go, I don't know, from your home to the supermarket. Awesome. So you're at your home bus stop. And let's say the bus comes every 10 minutes. So let's say that would mean that the block time is every 10 minutes. So the bus comes every 10 minutes and so does a block. So that's that's the block time. Secondly, we've got to think about how big is the bus? Is the bus like a tiny bus that can fit like 10 people, like a minivan? Or is the bus like a double-decker bus that you can fit 110 people? That's also very important as well. So the block size is important, but so is the block time, which is time between blocks. So those two are super important and the amount of information you can fit within each block as well. So the block size. Like in Ethereum, the block size is absolutely huge compared to the, the one of Bitcoin, for example, because Bitcoin is super simple. It doesn't have anything going on about it. It's just nice and easy, like a, like a minivan kind of size. So they're important things. And how it works is that let's say there's like a queue. There's not just you. Like it's, it's, it's peak hour. You want to go to the supermarket. You want to catch a bus. There's 100 people waiting, but there's only a van coming every 10 minutes, but the van only fits 20 people. So how do you decide who gets on the bus? This is where we start talking about fees, right? So like when you get on the bus, instead of a flat fee where it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to pay 10, 10 cents to the bus driver and lets me on. Instead, how it works with cryptocurrency, which is nice and interesting, it's an auction system, for example. So at peak hour, kind of like how tolls work on a highway, at peak hour, the fees are like five, $6. But when it's empty and it's like 2 a.m., the fees, it's either free or it's like 10 cents. So that's how it works. It's like at peak hour, you might pay a little bit more to get on the bus right then. But if you can be bothered to wait, you can almost pay five, 10 cents or like the billionaires did a few days ago. They can pay 19 cents. Maybe wait a few minutes or a few hours if it's peak hour to get on the bus and then the bus shuttles them to wherever they're going. So I think that's probably a worthwhile example um, of how yeah. block sizes, blocks and fees work. Yeah. I guess just to clarify, so, um, if I'm someone who wants to make a transaction, then I'm like a person who wants to get on the bus. And if I'm in a hurry, I really want to get this transaction through, I might tip a little bit more and then maybe I'll get a priority in the queue. Um, otherwise, I can just wait. I can, you know, save, save my wallet a bit and I can wait for the next bus or the bus after that. And then if we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, there's not only a bus, there's other modes of transport as well, right? So there's other cryptocurrencies that can get you to point A to point B. Like you can catch a plane, you can catch a ferry and different things are made for different for different ideas. Like, Maybe it's just worthwhile walking, then you can use it like a simple cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, but maybe you want to fly somewhere and like do something completely different. So there's different functionalities as well. So it's really worthwhile mentioning that. No, so because it's, it's really interesting. Like all the different, there's, it's more than just a financial system that's Bitcoin or nothing. It's, there's so much, there's a big pie and there's a lot of pieces of the pie to go around to all these different technologies for different use cases. Like, for example, if we go back to the old banking system, the picture that the bus only runs from nine to five. And if some reason, if there's a queue at the bank, like, oh, I'll come back next week. Or if the manager isn't there, then you're stuffed. Maybe you have to, you have to like bring your passport sometimes, like go to the bank or like to get on this bus. And it takes two, three days to wait for the bus. And like, 
there's just so many small inconveniences that and sometimes the bus turns around and comes back for no real reason. Sometimes you send money in the bank account and it just bounces back. And there's just so many small things about the current system that are a bit of a pain that we kind of take for granted, like we said earlier. Yeah, maybe you have a bunch of tattoos or something and you, they don't even let you on the bus, right? <laughs> That's what we see with the financial system. They just say, you know, get off the bus. You know, it's, Like you it's can't like, get on the bus if you're younger than, you can't create about, I think it's younger than 16, but even let's say 12 right? Like there's this kid that a few weeks ago, he just made $400,000 in the span of a, a week making NFTs, which we'll cover another time. But he has all of his money in Ethereum. He doesn't even have a bank account. And he's like 12. I was like, he's yeah. making more money than his principal and his teachers combined. And he doesn't oh, have yeah. a bank oh, account. Heaps. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I think we've taken this um, extended bus metaphor very far. <laughs> much further than I could have imagined. Credits to Andre Jake. Too many buses. <laughs> No, um, but I think there's a big topic that we wanted to cover in this episode, which is the next Buses. evolution of crypto, uh, Ethereum. Uh, what do, do we have any thoughts about that? To, first of all, if Bitcoin so, is a bus, Ethereum is like <laughs> I wouldn't say Ferrari, but like it's a Toyota. You know, like it gets there and it goes fast and it's super flexible and super adaptable. But you don't want to use it for everything. But it's very adaptable, I'd say. So basically. Explain Ethereum. Well, okay, let's say if Bitcoin was the first calculator, you know, it, it would, it's a machine that makes calculations super, super fast and super, super easy um, and gets rid of all the, you know, people who use abacuses or did things by hand, right? If, if that was Bitcoin, then Ethereum would be like the first personal computer or like an iPhone where you're able to code for different applications. So Bitcoin basically solved the issue of internet money, right? So now we can send money over the internet. But Ethereum says, well, money is just one application. The idea behind blockchain is being able to create anything that is unique and digitally scarce. So, you know, this coffee mug that I'm, I'm looking at right now, this is scarce, right? Or um, property or collectibles or art, all of that is meant to be scarce in the real world. Um, money's supposed to be scarce too until the Fed comes in and prints a trillion, but go on. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so Ethereum basically tried to come up with a generalized solution. So what that means is, okay, let's build something where you can just make whatever you want to make and we just provide the platform. So in this case, like Apple provides an iPhone with an app store and an ecosystem and then anybody can just come, come along and code an app. So this is what they call a general purpose smart contract uh, blockchain. So it's general purpose in that it's not built for one purpose, it's built for any purpose you can imagine. And then smart contract means that you can code a lot of complexity into it. So it, it's, you can code things on Bitcoin, but it's pretty hard. Whereas with Ethereum, you can, for example, create a marketplace, a decentralized marketplace that's governed um, like autonomously, or you, you could uh, build a game, or you could uh, code for an employment contract where you get paid your salary by the minute or by the hour, like autonomously. No one has to uh, click it. Or say you could you could make a uh, rental contract that allowed a piece of property to be owned by like a hundred owners, and the rent would be routed over the blockchain to pay all one hundred owners simultaneously. I think so we got also like just, just 
I think we got to like just really think about what you just said because that's like five or six revolutionary things. Yeah. Like we can't just gloss over them. Like, all right, being able to picture you have a rental property, I don't know, and you're bunking with 20 mates in college, right? Because you can't be asked to pay 800 bucks a week, stuff that you're going to bunk with 20 people in a huge place. Instead of like having to send all of your money to this one guy and like a few people missing, like forgetting, and I don't know, they can't be asked because they don't have a job. And then that one person goes straight to the real estate vendor. Instead, with these, we call them smart contracts, but through Ethereum, basically three different applications, you can subsidize or you can like split up the cost evenly and it just automatically deducts things. It's like there's so, and that's just one, one perspective. Hunter, you were saying? So can, I, can I just get this straight in terms of like a little bit of my own understanding? You know, we've, because Bitcoin was limited to, let's say it was a block size of one megabyte of data or, you know, and, and it couldn't be changed or anything even though you could code, you know, um, different applications onto Bitcoin, but it was really hard. It's, was it, I, is it, am I right in saying it was because of this restraint on this one block of data and that Ethereum essentially, you know, it took this to the next level instead of just having one block of data for, you know, a store of value, it doesn't really matter how long it takes for that one block of data to, you know, work or, you know, start, it might be a 10 minute wait time and it may cost me a little bit of money. Essentially, I just want that block of data to store money in, you know, because like for digital currency is, is it correct to say that Ethereum has reshaped this block of data to unlock completely different applications through blockchain technologies, whatever, you know, the ones we just mentioned? Yeah, 100%. I think you're, you're spot on. And I've got another metaphor to help to explain this. I just came up with it. Let's see if this works. So I like to picture picture Bitcoin. Like, let's think about communication systems. Instead of transport systems, like we're stuck, we're stuck with buses. Let's ignore those for now. Let's think about communication systems. So back in the late 90s, early 2000s, people used to use fax machines, right, to send messages to each other. There was only a limited amount of space or via cable, even before fax machines. There's only a limited amount of space you can send in each cable or in each fax machine just because the piece of paper is only so big or like the cable length, like the actual message in the cable can only contain so many characters. Like this is a time we used to have to pay per character. So that's a similar thing to Bitcoin, just because the block size used to only be a particular size. You couldn't have that much code on it purely because the block size is so small. Meanwhile, now what we got with Ethereum is Ethereum isn't only like email. It, like Ethereum isn't just a new Bitcoin because otherwise fax it's not like fax to email. It's a completely new revolutionary system. Instead, what Alain kind of briefly mentioned earlier is that Ethereum is kind of like comparing a fax to iOS. Like it's comparing fax to an iPhone that the iPhone itself can just do so many things and it just has a huge potential. Like upon that, you can have, you can have phone, you can have messages, you can have emails, you can have social media, all these other apps that are built on top of Ethereum or on top of iOS, which let's say is the crypto version of Ethereum. There's just so many things you can do, which beforehand in Bitcoin, which you still use now, it's still awesome. Bitcoin does one thing and it does it well. Ethereum just unlocks a new world of possibilities and so do other platforms. Like it's not just Ethereum. Kind of like there isn't just iOS, there isn't just Apple. There's also Samsung, there's Android, and there's all these different things like there's Solana and there's Avalanche, which are other cryptos we'll talk about another time. But Ethereum is really just the base layer or we call a layer one solution. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think it's really important to draw that distinction because... I think from an outsider, all the cryptos look the same and you just look at the, the crypto market cap and it's like, you know, there's like 3000 different cryptos. Like what's the difference between them? If you think of the, crypt the crypto space, it's just about currency, which 
you know, certainly that was a misconception that I had. Then it doesn't make sense to have all these different currencies, right? That it's just look, it's just a joke. Why, why? Now, surely everyone just uses Bitcoin, but there is a fundamental difference between Bitcoin and other things like Dogecoin and these, you know, general purpose programmable um, smart contract blockchains uh, like Ethereum, like Solana, that open up a new world of possibilities. I just jump in real quick and. What I see is a bit of a misconception in the crypto space is that, you know, you mentioned it, all of these different cryptos are the same. They're all got the same thing. If you have this fundamental outlook and if you have this knowledge, you're able to make unbelievable investment decisions because currently what I see is just like, okay, every crypto is the same. I can just jump in anyone that seems to be pumping because it's all the same technology. And, you know, as Eamon likes to say a lot, my money just goes up. You know, I, I just make money. It only goes up. And I think if you have this base layer understanding of like, okay, we mentioned layer one, you know, we, we, you know, we mentioned applications that can be built on Ethereum or built on any one of these platforms. Being able to have that knowledge gives you the upper hand in making investment decisions on what cryptocurrency has longevity and how can I make money on my assets, which you learn you're unbelievably great at. Yeah. So I, I it, like as a rule of thumb, I'd say that if you don't understand the concept of what a general purpose smart contract blockchain is, if you, if someone were to, you know, ask you on the street, what is Ethereum and you don't have a good answer for it, then that, that actually means that you don't yet under, understand a lot of what's happening in the crypto world. And it's a really weird concept to get around, get your head around because uh, sometimes they describe it as um, programmable money. Like, what does that even mean, right? Why do we need to program money? And what can we do when we program money? Um, and of course, it's, it's, it's much more than money. It's like the whole NFT space um, and building this entire ecosystem with all these different um, applications. So for example, if you're a business and you want to use blockchain to say, um, track your sales, um, like make supply chains more efficient. If you want to uh, use NFTs for marketing and branding, all of that is a blockchain, is a problem that can be solved with blockchain. And who do you call when, when you want to build that solution? You build it on a platform. You build it on something like Ethereum's or Solana. And so th these projects actually have an enormous amount of value that the market hasn't at all reflected. So for example, um, Ethereum, the leading uh, smart contract blockchain is valued currently at around 400 billion US dollars. That sounds like a lot, but consider that Apple has a market cap of more than 2 billion, uh, sorry, more than 2 trillion. And JP Morgan, a, a big bank in the US has about $500 billion. It's worth about $500 billion at the moment. And so this platform that's basically gonna be the world's operating system is valued at less than a big bank. That's, that's, yeah. That, I think, is a pretty crazy discrepancy between the true value and price. I think as well, this is a good time to start thinking about how do we think about investing within these cryptos? Like, do we want to do that? Is that something we want to achieve? Like, something that goes through my head, first of all, is that don't put money, like, don't invest in something you don't understand. Like, that's the first and most obvious thing. It's like, if you have no idea what the hell this is yet and we haven't done a good enough job at, at explaining it, which I hope not, if so, if so, leave a comment. But you want to make sure that you actually understand and fully get an idea of could you explain what you're into and why are you into it but on that i just i like i i know a lot of people like when we you know you mentioned last time 
Yolan, you're looking at, you know, the Warren Buffett strategy, you know, take, take your 20 grand and just put it in the S&P 500 in an index and you'll get 7% year on year. Like I, I was listening to the Bankless podcast, which is a great resource that I think everyone should listen to um, crypto wise. And Kathy Wood, who is um, the, the founder or CEO of ARK Invest, which is a um, hedge or, you know, what is it, Elon? It's a, a fund? Uh, it's, it's an active um, ETF, but basically an investment fund. Yeah, it's so it's a better Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah, so, so they, were in, they were made the point that, you know, we used to see investments go into new technology and new innovative things and, you know, actually be risk-taking in the 1950s. And that slowly moved to now everyone's just investing things that have no risk and have no innovation. Like sure, like, you know, Apple has some innovation. It releases a new iPhone and dramatizes the next big feature, which is just like, you know, a change in screen size. But the reason why I am so keen to invest in crypto, even though like, I don't understand all of it, I'm not an expert on it. It's that I'm investing in innovation and I'm investing in new technology. And I like, there is no barrier of entry to me investing in this new technology. And that's why I'm so hyped about because we see in Australia, like sure, you can put your money in the stock market, but you need a, I think it's a million dollars to actually be offered these risky securities and be able to invest in these new innovative projects. So what's so appealing about crypto to me is it's so retail investor friendly and retail pretty much just means like everyday people. It's so friendly to us and it's a risk that I think is worth taking because even if like, you know, we're kind of, you know, pushing the whole thing that, okay, this is the next revolution. If it does go bust, at least I know that I'm investing and taking a risk in something that is innovation, which I find like a whole new paradigm and interesting in the world of investing for me. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like personal finance and this whole world of investing is so much to do. But I think I really wanted to touch on what you, that last sentence you said is if Bitcoin or cryptocurrency goes bust. I don't know. I think it's worthwhile discussing. It's like, under what circumstances, like, would it be possible for cryptocurrencies to bet or for Bitcoin to go to zero, let's say? Like, under what situation am I just going to lose all my money like I did a few weeks ago or months ago now? I think this is speaking more to the traders out there. So there's something called leverage that we'll touch on in another, another video. And, um, or, or like trying to buy into shit coins where, you know, just looking for like a 10,000% gain or something ridiculous, right? But basically leverage, like to keep it short, is just using money you don't have. Exactly. So borrowing somebody else's money to invest. And then, you know, if things go down, then you still have to return the money you borrowed. And so potentially you, you, you can get forced to sell when you don't want to. Not that that has happened to people here, but anyway, you know, for, for the case of Bitcoin is there are so many people, there's like a very, very, very loyal community behind Bitcoin that, you know, really truly believe in, believe in it and truly um, you know, use it as a store of value against traditional inflation-prone currencies. And so because this whole system is decentralized, so there's no one company that owns Bitcoin. It's owned by all its users, right? And so the government couldn't just come in and, just, and shut down a network because who do you shut down? There's like computers spread all over the world that's keeping this network alive. It's like trying to shut down the, the internet, but it's like more distributed than the internet because the internet is concentrated in several data centers, whereas these decentralized networks, it's um, much, much harder to- Can, just I, can I just chime in on that? China has banned Bitcoin about eight times now. I just, I just want to put that out there. There's like, 
you know, Iran has banned it and it's done nothing to it. Like you cannot, like sure you can shut down the exchanges, but you, you like, I can just go on the dark web and just buy Bitcoin if worse comes to worse and every single government colludes and says, no, you can't use this technology. Like there's, it's pretty much impossible for them to take, Pandora's box is open. You know, which yeah. is actually very interesting. If, if anything, there's an inverse correlation. So we found, oh, we found. I've seen a few tweets and a few Twitter threads with some incredible resources, I remember. Probably not Fox News, but that's, that's another story. Where when, play, or when countries have banned Bitcoin, so when India tried to ban Bitcoin or when I think it was Ghana banned Bitcoin, the usage of Bitcoin in the country actually went up because at that point in time, people didn't even know what Bitcoin was. It was like half a percent of the population was using Bitcoin. And the government's like, nah, we don't want that. Let's make it illegal. And suddenly it's front page news and everyone's like, what the hell is Bitcoin? And they realize how good it is. And then they just get into it and buy more. So it's actually, we found that any press is good press for Bitcoin because once people realize and take the time to learn what it is, the, the amount of people that come in actually makes up for the amount of people that are lost from the few people that actually do leave. And of course, we should also talk about non-Bitcoin things. Um, certainly people who know me know that I'm a very big Ethereum fan, much more than I am a Bitcoin fan. Um, and the reason for this is, you know, like we discussed, this is a base layer for an ecosystem. And so, you know, when we have a platform upon which over 3,000 different applications uh, that bring value to people have already been built, then that has a lot of staying power. That has a lot of ecosystem strength. And so, you know, you, you could, some of these applications uh, might not work out in the long run but you have this, this foundation that's likely to stay. And, and uh, you know, with the Ethereum network, there's gonna be over 200,000 uh, computers running this, this network all over the world. And every year it's growing, growing users and revenue by over 10 times. Imagine that, something growing 10 times every year. That's, that's an enormous amount of growth and from the looks of things, it's not, it's not stopping anytime soon. So something as well that is worthwhile keeping in mind, like to keep it super, super simple, when would Bitcoin go to zero? Or like hypothetically, could Bitcoin go to zero? Let's think about supply and demand because that's essentially how Bitcoin works, right? So we know that the demand, sorry, we know that the supply is capped at 21 million Bitcoin. As programmed, we know that as an absolute fact. That's, what diff- that's one of the factors that differentiates it from like the US dollar. We have no idea what the supply is going to be. It could increase and decrease over time according to what the US or any other governments likes to do. So we know that the supply is there and it's capped. So it's all about demand. If there's a lot of demand on Bitcoin, like if every single person decides to buy $10 worth of Bitcoin, of course the price is going to go up because everyone wants this limited amount of resources, right? But if no one wants Bitcoin, then the price of Bitcoin goes to zero because everyone thinks that it's worthless. So the only way for Bitcoin to go to zero is for everyone to be like, this is worthless. This is a pain. We don't need this. It's a waste of time. So the only way, the only way, because we've got to think about edge cases for this to actually happen is for the US government, which currently the US dollar is the reserve currency of the International Monetary Fund, which is basically the most important currency in the world right now is the US dollar. If the US dollar actually becomes incredible and amazing like Bitcoin is, it means that you can send it to anyone in the world almost fearless. You can send it instantaneously. You can send it outside of business hours and working days, and you can send it to people that might only have a cell phone connection and aren't actually connected to a bank. If that can work on US dollar, I don't know how, but hypothetically, if that happens, awesome. We probably don't need Bitcoin uh, if you don't value the decentralization and things like 
a publicly visible ledger. So there's all these aspects and things that differentiate Bitcoin. But theoretically, I think it's very incredibly unlikely for people to be like, I like the US dollar more than I like Bitcoin. So I think that's also and that, that very basic, cryptocurrency yeah. in general, not just Bitcoin. We just use the Bitcoin example as it's got the biggest market cap, but that's all cryptocurrency like in general. I think maybe, Yolan, do you want to just do a quick recap of what we've covered here today and you know, finish, finish up? Yeah, so today we talked more about like the, the problems of the current financial system and introduced the big concept which is Ethereum and general purpose smart contract blockchains. And we'll explore a lot of what goes on in that space and how all these cryptos can have very different applications and different sources of value uh, in future videos. Yeah, for sure. Well, everyone, this has been College Crypto. Um, we love your support. Thank you for tuning into our last episode and hopefully you found this episode just as engaging. Uh, if you do have any feedback, make sure you contact us and reach out because we're always trying to make this better. You know, we are college students, it's college crypto and any suggestions you have or any, you know, criticisms, etc. We're always open to that because we're always trying to improve. Uh, see you next time. And that's been us. See ya.